0: Welcome back to the Vibrantly Gray podcast. I'm your host, Kathy Working. Here in the Vibrantly Gray community, we support older women in pursuing their big dreams. I believe that age should never be a barrier to achieving one's goals and living a meaningful life. In today's episode, I hope you will be inspired and empowered to live your life vibrantly. The conversation today is with Cheryl Robbins. During our conversation, we talk about a lot of really important issues for women over 50. She does a fabulous job of describing how to recapture and pursue and achieve dreams that maybe we gave up on when we were younger. She talks about reinventing herself after divorce, getting a college degree later in life, And gives excellent advice about how to think about getting older before we're old, as well as after we've hit 50 plus.
1: My name is Cheryl Robbins. I'm 61. I will soon to be 62. I'm originally from Los Angeles, California, born and raised Los Angelino, and there's not too many native Californians anymore. I spent 21 years in Dallas and couldn't wait to see it in my rearview mirror fast enough. And so when I had a job opportunity here in the Northwest, I left and relocated here. I had always planned to retire here in this beautiful part of the country. And the fact that I found a job here was just icing on the cake. I've been working in health informatics and information management for, oh goodness, at least 40 years. Healthcare is my passion and plan to continue that long after I you know, do the big retire, whenever that is.
0: I always start off with a question to one of my guests. And the question is, when was the last time you felt you shouldn't do something because of your age?
1: You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I haven't been limited too much by my age. I've never experienced ageism. I've been very fortunate in that. I I think it has a lot to do with genetics to believe it or not. I'm very fortunate that the women in my family have never looked their age, including me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm often mistaken for a woman in her late forties. My mother is often thought to be my sister and she's 85. And I also come from a lineage of very strong, capable self-sufficient women. But if I had to put a pin in something that I shouldn't do because of my age, I would say it's probably travel related. And some of that gives me a lot of angst. I've turned down several great job opportunities because they required travel to India. And Mm -hmm. I know for myself, my body wouldn't fare well globetrotting across multiple time zones, navigating food and water safety challenges, or any place where I could become very ill without the benefit of great healthcare that we have here in the United States. I may, may not have felt that way in my younger years when I had more vim and vigor, but I certainly do now. I am much more conscious of my mortality at this age. But then again, I probably shouldn't bungee jump or zip line, And I... <laughs> Either, and I really do want to zip line at some point. So at least if I fall down, go boom, I'm close to a hospital.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're, you're you're close to home with that. Well, I, I love it, and and I want you to check in when you've completed your first zip line. How's that? <laughs> I would like to do that because that is something I have no desire
1: <laughs> to do. So, so, so good for you. And I feel like that is something that I could I could challenge and I could do.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you had a lot of good role models from the women in your family.
1: Yes, I did.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about what were some of the things you have admired about them? My family originally
1: uh, came from before the Holocaust. My family relocated from various parts of Germany, and they came Mm -hmm. across through Odessa, Russia when they came in through Ellis Island. Mm-hmm. And I come from a lineage of very strong German women, and they didn't take any nonsense from anybody, including the men in their lives. And they were always very, very self sufficient. Even if they weren't college educated, they had really good common sense and street sense. And a lot of that was passed down to me through my mother and my, my maternal grandmother. My maternal grandmother took care of the family while my grandfather was overseas during World War II. She sewed all night just to make enough money to keep food on the table. She knew what it took to get by. And my mom, God bless her, she's gone through so much angst with business issues and, and navigating very complex financial things without a college degree. And she's so, so smart. So I just come from this group of very strong, empowered women that just didn't take guff from anybody. And mm-hmm. I've inherited that gene, <laughs> as I've been told by some of my employers, and that's okay. I wear that badge proudly.
0: Yeah, I love your your spirit. Now you mentioned the importance of education and in your in your mother's life or to your mother. So can you talk to us a little bit about your educational journey?
1: Yeah, and that's a good segue into a question I think you might be asking later. When I was in high school, I went to a private a private Christian school, and I will admit that I got a great education. But one of the things that I didn't get was a lot of strong career guidance for a young woman in 1979. Mm-hmm. There were lots of uh, scholarships available, but they were two private Christian colleges where I probably couldn't have gotten the type of broad liberal education that I was looking for. On top of that, uh, my parents were in a financial place at that time in their lives when they really couldn't afford to send me to four-year university. And my dream was to be a physician. Um, I had always wanted to be a surgeon. And unfortunately, that was a dream that was not meant to be, not meant to manifest. And so I went to two-year college Finished that, and then moved out on my own and started working, and then worked my way up the career ladder on my own into you know an executive position that most people would need master's degrees for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in 2020, at the beginning of the pandemic, <laughs> believe it or not, I finished my four-year degree uh, 40 years later.
0: Okay, that's great. I was,
1: I was so proud of myself. It was something that I, I knew that I had to do to at least make good on that piece of my educational journey. And I'm, I'm considering now going back and getting a master's and not because I need to, but because I want to. Yeah. I, I feel like I have some unfinished educational business.
0: And, and what was your degree, your four-year degree? Uh, what was your major?
1: Health informatics. And uh, that has been the that has been my job for the last 40 years, working with health data, um, patient data, patient financial data, patient clinical data. All of that has been uh, the, the biggest part of my career. Uh, and that, you know, I figured that if I couldn't afford to get into hands-on healthcare, care, uh, I knew nursing was not going to be my bag. I had bigger aspirations. Yeah. Yeah. And so I felt, well, I can make a difference on the other side of healthcare care by telling the patient's story through the information that's presented about the patient and that's what I've been doing okay. for years
0: that that's wonderful I I, I love that you found a way to help patients even if it wasn't in a face-to-face kind of context like uh, attaining your your dream of being a physician. So that's great and I have to tell you that that area of work is a completely new one for me. so now I'm going to have to go do some research. About what you what what you've done. So you said that you were interested in getting a master's. So would that be in the same field?
1: Actually, I'm 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 thinking of pursuing a master's in healthcare leadership. As oh. I have as I have worked myself, you know, up the food chain over the last forty years, I I naturally involved into a leadership role. I think that's because I'm very much a take charge person. I am a can do say and I have a high say-do ratio, Mm -hmm. Um, so I've kind of always been a natural leader. I was was always the kid who was in grade school organizing to make sure everybody was in in the line straight. If the teacher needed help, I was the kid up there helping the teacher, so I, I just have had natural leadership tendencies, and so in my role, now that I'm in more of an executive level, I'm doing much more mentoring and soft skills than I am hard data work anymore. Okay. Uh, It's about mentoring, you know,
0: mentoring other women because
1: this is is primarily a women oriented field informatics.
0: Oh, it is. Okay.
1: Yes, it is. I, our our professional organization, I would say is probably about 90% women, which is great. I
0: I think I'm surprised by that. So uh, thank you for sharing. You bet. And uh, so it's
1: just it's just a natural progression, I think, for me to kind of get on paper, all of those leadership skills that I've honed over the years and Mm -hmm. to say to myself, yep, you are a master in doing that. And I do it very well.
0: Right. And the uh, by the way, I really like your in fact, I wrote it down because I might, quote unquote, borrow it from you. You have a high say do ratio. I Mm -hmm. love that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that's a great phrase. That's a great, great, great phase. So in the organization in which you are currently working, uh, do they welcome your mentoring activities?
1: Absolutely.
0: In okay, fact, when I was,
1: when I was brought on board, I was told that there were several folks that probably needed to be managed out, also known as terminated. Yes. Uh, those, those folks have since blossomed. Um, some of the strongest leaders I've ever had. And so it's just a matter of seeing the potential in people, whether they be male or female and, and removing those obstacles to their success Mm -hmm. and and being that, being that person that they could come to when they may hit a stumbling block and say, Hey, I don't know what to do next. Help me, guide me. That's what I do best.
0: That's, that's great. I I love that. So, so let's go back to the time that you made that decision. Uh, to how old were you when you uh, decided to go back to finish your math, uh, your uh, your BA?
1: Oh, good goodness. Uh, let's see. I was
0: fifty-eight, almost fifty-nine. Okay. So what what was that experience like? What what led you to say to yourself, "I'm doing it now." I was finding
1: that as I was moving up the career ladder and continuing to look for new roles that a baccalaureate degree was no longer a nice to have it was a must have and I had all of the I had all of the practical and book knowledge it was a matter of getting the paper and yes. that's not to say that the program was easy but I took a 2 year program in 9 months and finished wow and-
0: I, uh, and, and worked at and the same worked, time. Yes. Wow. And I am a natural
1: writer and the vast majority of the program was writing okay. was Writing a lot of papers. And so I, it, it was something that was, I won't say it was easy for me to do, but it was inherent. And I could I could grasp onto it because it's something that I've been dealing with for many, many years. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it became quite evident to my instructors that I did not need a whole lot of mentoring. I. <laughs> I, uh, I flew
0: off on my own. Yeah, I'm sure they appreciated that uh, yes. because there are a lot of <laughs> lot of students who do need their time with uh, mentoring. So I'm, I'm really interested in the kind of support or lack of support that you receive from people who are, I guess, in your inner circle when you decided to go back to school.
1: And when I decided to go back to school, I was still married. And I'm since, I'm since divorced. You know, my husband at the time had a master's degree already. He was, he was supportive of me going back to school, um, but he never got in the way. So okay. he, he, if I needed meals, he was there. If I needed help with a, a specific Excel spreadsheet, he was there. But for the most part, He just sat back and watched me do what I do best. And that's push myself to the brink of exhaustion (laughs) because there's a carrot out there and I'm going to go grab it. I think my biggest cheerleader was probably my mother and my mom. My mom wanted to finish her college degree. She never did. And she regrets it to this day. And so for her, I think that seeing that diploma was more emotional for her than it was for me because it's something that she had always wanted for herself and she would always wanted for me to do that too. But she knew that at that point in my young life that she couldn't give that to me what I needed. Um, and so we, you know, we kind of forged down that path together when I decided to go back to school and And she's still my biggest cheerleader. If, if there's something that I need that I want to do, I have a, a really Smart eighty-five-year-old mom with all of her marbles, and she'll just say, "Hey, whatever you want to do, you can do it." And it's amazing yes. to have your mom in your in your corner.
0: Ab- absolutely, absolutely. And uh, the your employer at the time were they supportive of you going back to school? Yes, they were. And in
1: fact, they uh, they subsidized about half of my education.
0: Okay, and, good.
1: Which, which was wonderful. And um, my mom subsidized the rest, which was a beautiful thing, because at this point in her life, she was able to do that where she couldn't 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she's always throwing out that carrot. Hey, go back and get that master's degree. I'll pay for it. <laughs> mom, it's not
0: a matter of money. It's a matter of time and energy. Time. Yes. You know, she's,
1: she's right there. She's just right in my corner pocket all the time.
0: Wow. That is so good. You're, you're, you're so fortunate to to have her uh, oh, I mean, I know wow. in, in, in your corner. Uh, that's, that's, that's excellent. That's excellent. I know that you, you know, I know that getting your degree while you were also working after the age of 50, I, I'm sure was challenging. Let's put it that way at times mm-hmm. you you mentioned that you were exhausted uh yes. at times uh so would you consider that your greatest challenge since you turned 50 or is there was there something else in your life that you experienced you know being difficult to to face
1: you know i i didn't that you know studying in school has always been so so much a part of my life
0: and lifelong
1: learner. I think for me to be really honest with you, Kathy, simply waking up on my birthday and knowing that I was 50 was the challenge.
0: Okay, okay.
1: I wasn't fearful of the number itself, but I was very pensive because it marked the more than halfway point in my life. I had a lot of deep thoughts during my birth month that year. And now that I'm in my 60s, now I'm thinking differently. I'm thinking about the time that's left in my life more often than not and what I want to do with that time. But moreover, what am I going to do to make that happen? I've had so many regrets in my past that I want this last quarter of my life to be maybe even the most impactful.
0: Mm -hmm. So turning older kind of made things more clear in your life, yeah. about where what what you wanted to do with the times that you have left, which we yes. hope is a good a, a good chunk of time, but still it it becomes really clear that we need to spend it wisely. I've experienced that too as I've gotten older. What would be your? What kind of turn that que- that previous question on its head? And what what is your greatest joy since turning fifty? I think circling back to getting
1: my bachelor's degree was an enormous joy. I remember watching the screen after I got my results of my capstone back and I just put my head on my desk and sobbed. It was such an incredibly emotional moment. And I was sorry. <laughs> As I mentioned to you, I had always wanted to go to medical school and couldn't. Yeah. So I kind of felt cheated, to be honest with you. and. The interesting part of this story is that my mother uh, never knew that I wanted to go to medical school. Oh, she didn't. Um, okay. No, she didn't did. until probably, oh, maybe three years ago, I finally told her and I didn't tell her because during that time in my life in 1979, and in my parents' life, they were going through some fairly significant financial challenges. And I knew that even though I was in a private school, um, it was took all that they had to keep themselves afloat and to keep me in that school to make sure that I had the best possible education to be mm-hmm. prepared for the world and so um, that and, and let's step back and say that this was a very conservative religious based high school and so when a lot of the women in my in my class didn't have the highest career aspirations many of right. them, went to college to get their MRS (laughs) and, you know, and they succeeded. But for me, and much like my mother, uh, getting married and having babies was never on the menu for me. What was on the menu was going to school and being educated and having that drive. So, you know, the fact that I was finally able to finish my bachelor's degree and have my mom part of that enormous piece of success in my life was probably one of the biggest joys.
0: Yeah. Well, I can hear it in your in your voice. And, and it's wonderful when we reach a goal uh, that we've set for ourselves. Um, oh, yeah. And, and in your case, it was a, a goal that you set for yourself many, many years previously. So achieving it is even more bittersweet because of that. What so what do you wish that you had known about this life stage, meaning you know, 50 and, and after? Before you turned 50, I talked to a lot of younger people, and, and I guess I probably can put myself in this category as well. We didn't really think about turning older. No. So I think that's, and you, you described that, you know, you woke up on your 50th birthday. It was a hard, a hard one. And I think part of that is because it kind of sneaks up on us because we're not oh, very yeah. thoughtful about it. <laughs> Or were taught to dread it what what did you wish you had known about this particular life stage before you turned 50
1: i had always thought that my body would never fail me
0: uh you know, yeah
1: i had this i had this uh and of course being in medicine what a silly thought right you know, <laughs> all i all i do all day is is look through data that tells me quite the opposite but for me, I had always been a, a very physically healthy person. I don't want to say physically fit, but physically healthy. And mm-hmm. I never thought that my body would fail me, and it can, and it does. Oh boy, what a rude awakening! And I wish I had not been so cocky in my younger years to think that the best laid plans could never go awry. Right. But, you know, I would make a plan and execute it, and boom, life goes on. Let's find the next plan. Oh boy, does that. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. And I wish, you know, I, I I wish I had known some of the more intimate details of myself. And what I mean by yeah. that is who I am and what I am as a woman, um, much earlier in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I had been able to live my truth and to be who I am and to not have to wear so many facades with different people. Those are things that, our regrets, but things that I'm trying to correct now that I'm single again and I'm establishing really solid female relationships, which should have been sorely lacking in my life. Mm-hmm. Those are those are the positives I take away from it.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well said. So you had talked earlier in our conversation, you had mentioned, I should say, that post-retirement. So let's talk a little bit about what you see the future holding for you.
1: You know, that's a really great question. And I thought a lot about that. I have some pretty aggressive plans for myself. I I thought about I thought about going back to school and I, I may still do that. But now that I'm getting to a point where I am going to think about retiring in the next five years, retiring at least from this profession, I want to go back and be able to do something where I can help others. And by that, I mean, knowing that I missed that opportunity to become a surgeon, I thought to myself, what can I do that could help people at the other end of their life? So I have been investing in training and investing in learning very much about becoming an end of life doula. I'm not a person who is going to be happy sitting about playing cards, beating bonbons, what what have you. Right, right, right. For me, for me, a meaningful life will mean giving back. So I've become passionate about this training and end-of-life work. And because my interests always involve medicine, and since again, that dream of the surgeon wasn't in the cards, I feel very compelled to give back to others in their time of need. When people come to a surgeon, they're scared, they're afraid, there's so much unknown. And I, I, I equate that to people who are at the end of life as well. Right. They don't know what's in the cards for them. They don't know what's on the other side. We can have our faith and our belief, but none of us truly knows what's on the other side. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think that will be my opportunity to give back to others in a time where they may not have someone there with them or maybe their family needs support it's a way that I can, I can give back in a very emotional and fulfilling way. So for me, I think a meaningful life will be a good balance of pleasurable activities, things that I enjoy doing, but also staying engaged as a lifelong learner to enter a world where I can continue to help others and also continue to tell that patient story in a different way because that's what I've done my entire professional life.
0: Yeah, I love how you're molding what you have been working in up to the point that you retire to, you know, translating those skills like the soft skills that you talked about earlier into, you know, a needed uh, context that's different, but can use that personal touch and that caring touch.
1: Yes, and I, I, as I think I mentioned to you earlier, people often come to me as a person to solve problems, both yep. in my professional and personal life. So I thought, why not help others in a different way as I continue to grow? I don't want to stop doing that simply because I'm not mentoring young professionals. I want to,
0: to continue to give back. So I'm really curious about what kinds of trainings uh, do you need to take in order to become that kind of end of life doula?
1: There are are several professional organizations that provide training. Some are more aggressive than others, but the the program I'm looking at is about a year and a half long. And it teaches you uh, to, it teaches you the psychology of working with people who are terminally ill, but also their family dynamics of working with those folks. You don't provide any hands-on care. You, live that, you leave that to the hospice folks. But the end-of-life doula is really there to help you transition your financial needs. If you need help getting, getting your, your life in order before it's your time to pass, the end-of-life doula can help with that. The end of life doula can do very mundane things like run errands for you, or the person can be there to support your family emotionally as they're going through grief or preparing to go through grief. So it's really really about learning all of the soft skills and the hard skills that you would need to help someone who is actively dying outside of providing actual medical care. Mm -hmm. And uh, many end of life doulas are there at the time of death. To, to help the patients gently exit the earth and, right. work, and work together with the, the hospice team to make sure that they're comfortable and that, that their needs are met. And moreover, to support the family members that are, are left behind. So it's it's an emotional journey and it's not certainly not one that anyone should enter into lightly.
0: Yes. Well, I mean, it sounds like such a fulfilling experience for you and such a helpful one for the the person who is p- going to be passing as well as their loved ones so I I thank you for sharing some of the details of that when you were just talking you were mentioning the um maybe uh lack of emotional and mental preparation for death- mm-hmm. So yes. this leads into uh, one of my questions about what do you wish that women would talk more about in terms of aging? I would say that death is one of them.
1: Death is one of them. I would think that people should talk more about their sexuality and mm-hmm. how much that changes after you hit a certain age. You know, there's there's so much advertising and fluff on television and the internet about how men's sexual needs can be can be met after a certain age we don't hear that about women right you know we don't hear about how our bodies age and how they change and you know it's all about the men and i'm not dissing any men who might be listening to this
0: well no you're just stating a fact (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I think, I think women need to talk more openly about their sexuality at this, at this point in their lives. Other things that I, I wish that that women would talk more about, in and that's financial planning, solid financial planning, and the thought that one day you might be on your own. I learned that marriage isn't forever. You think it is, and you certainly hope it will be. But one day I woke up and I was by myself. And I thought to myself, thank goodness that I have been smart enough to have solid financial planning that I've done myself. I learned from my, my aunt who had never been married. I've learned from my mother and my grandmother that an independent woman is her own best source of support. I can still hear these women in my lives, uh, both positively and negatively. I, I know women who are incredibly strong, like the three that I mentioned, but there are still women who have no vision into their own financial lives. They can't write a check. They don't know how to file yes. their income taxes. They don't know what their partners have invested in. And boom, their partner's gone and they are deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that comes from fear, from ignorance is bliss mentality, but you know, gosh, it can be deadly if you're not prepared to be alone uh, at some point in your life. Yes. And so I'm a huge advocate of women taking control of their financial lives, taking control of the, the legalities of being alone, things like having a will, a durable power of attorney, all of those things that come with being an adult. And so many women just you know, kind of wash their hands of that and leave it to their husbands. And I, Ooh, I cringe when I hear that. I really
0: do. Right. Well, and I think, do you think that, well, I I guess I should pose this as a question. Do you think that that is a generational thing that women who are younger than us are getting that message that's important for them to take care of themselves? Or do you think that it's still the norm that women really don't need to worry themselves about financial issues. You
1: know, I, I see a lot of women, uh, women, friends whose nieces and things are getting married and you see their, some of their posts after they've become married and how their husband's taking care of this and their husband's taking care of that. And I'm thinking, why can't you take care of that?
0: Right. Yeah. Uh,
1: where, where is your self-empowerment? Did you, just because you got married, did you turn over the responsibilities of life to your husband? Mm-hmm. You well know, a hey, marriage is to be a partnership, but but moreover have some strength. Woman, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, mom, I
0: love that. Take care That's
1: of your girlfriends because God knows if someday that man isn't there, you are on your own.
0: Well, I think in the moment it's it's very nice to have some you know to feel as though sure. someone is taking care of you, but you're not keeping your eye on long term consequences uh, well, of that so
1: and don't you think too it's often it's all very romantic concept of
0: you know,
1: oh yes and now there's this man and he's gonna be the knight shining armor well I got news for you that that armor tarnishes over time right
0: right as, yeah as yeah does our armor <laughs> <laughs> have absolutely. Um, you had mentioned, I, I spent my earlier days being a researcher of friendships. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you had mentioned something about not establishing close friendships with women, with other women. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you, can you speak about that dynamic a little bit? I, I think that I share your experience of friendship with women. So, uh, what, what what would you say about your, your history of friendship?
1: I think that as I have gotten older, the friendships have become deeper. I I had, I had a lot of female friends growing up through college and even in during, in my married life, but not with the depth of which the friendships exist. Mm -hmm. Now, I would say that the, the women that I have, that have come into my life uh, since, since I've divorced, these friendships have been so much richer and so much deeper and so much more emotional than I could have ever have imagined imagined at this point in my life. Uh, I have, I have one very dear friend who has been a friend since high school. uh, And uh, that was about the extent of my, deep female friendships un- until the point where i divorced a few years ago okay and since that point i have felt the i have felt the ability to open up to these women in ways that i never have before and just allowing myself to to feel vulnerable and to have the time to commit to those relationships that i didn't have time to commit to when i was married I was married to a very introverted person. I'm too of an introvert, but he, he was very extensively introverted. So we never, we didn't even have any couple friends that we went out to eat dinner with. That's how isolated we were. Okay. So it's, it's kind of like I've had this awakening of how beautiful it is to have female friends and the joy that the friendship with a woman can bring because they understand, they get it. And the interesting thing is, is that the women that I'm closest to are women that are also single, that are also financially independent, and that they get it. They understand the importance of having having those things done in your life so you can go out and have a great time and not worry about all the extraneous stuff hanging over your head. So it's been a joy, just an absolute joy.
0: That's great. Do you have any insight on for women out in our community of listeners uh, as to where, where they can meet uh, like-minded women. I think that's um, an issue uh, for some of us. Yeah, I
1: have um, found myself getting involved in more, more things that are more politically aligned with my beliefs. I've met some great women there. I, Interestingly enough, a couple of years ago, was driving home from an appointment here in downtown Vancouver and happened to get my car right in the middle of a women's march. And it was a women's march and a women's drive march. And so there were women marching along the streets. There were women in their cars honking. And I thought, oh, my gosh, how am I going to get out of that? And I thought, why would I want to get out of this? I'm I'm surrounded by awesome, strong women who are honking their horns and um, you know, kind of just beating their chests proverbially to, to get their message across. And so, heck, I just joined right along with him. And you know what? When I got out of that line of cars and turned back towards my house, I felt the biggest sense of exhilaration. So yeah. I, I share all of that with you to tell you that there are, there are so many different places that you can get involved. Look to your local Facebook groups, look to meet up. These are the places that I have found wonderful people. And of course you have to be very careful. Think safety, of course, but sure. get involved, just get involved in places where you least expect it. Even the library, for goodness sakes, get into reading groups, get into things that interest you. And uh, Oh, that's
0: a great idea. Yeah. I think sometimes we forget that our local libraries are great centers for yes. learning and meeting people.
1: Yes, yes. And I'm 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 definitely not one of those persons, I never have been who wants to go hang out in a bar or any of that no. kind of stuff. Oh my goodness, forget it. <laughs> but uh, I, I will seek out people who have same interests in death and dying. And believe it or not, I've I've met some interesting people to talk to through some of the YouTube channels that I watch on death and dying. So okay. you know they're just follow your passions and follow those people, and you'll likely find some great the simpatico
0: folks. Wonderful. Well, that's that's excellent practical advice. And I, I thank you for that because I, I, I think that um, as older women who are trying to do their lives a little differently than maybe what the expectations are for us, that I think having a community of support is so helpful and needed. And that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast.
1: Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that you did because this dialogue needs to continue and yes. it needs to grow. And there's just, there's just such a, a wealth of, a wealth of depth and depth of, of women our age who have so much to share. Um, and I, I applaud you for doing, doing what you're doing. It's so needed.
0: So what advice would you give to women who are our age, who are older than 50? What what advice would you give them about aging gracefully and vibrantly?
1: Well, the first thing I would say is be gentle with yourself. Oh
0: gosh, I love that.
1: You know, and just remember that you're not 30 anymore and you can't have the same expectations of your body you can't have the same expectations of even your mental, your mental state. Let's face it, we're, we're just not as sharp as we used to be. We're not as fast as we used to be. And it's okay. It's really okay. And another thing I would have to say is you can never start too early or too late to plan for this financial, for, or for this phase of your life, because it sneaks up on you mm. and, you know, taking care of your physical and your financial health, take care of your personal business. There's things like we talked about before, wills and trusts and all the hard stuff that many people don't want to face. And they wait till it's too late and then leave a mess for their family to clean up and don't rely on your partner for financial freedom, build it, mm-hmm. own it yourself Strong women need lifelines and they need lifelines, not only with other women, but they need their own lifeline. Um, And know this, and this is something that hit me upside the head a few years ago, is that it is possible to rebuild even after the harshest blows. Oh, yes. Have confidence in what you can do instead of what you think you can't do. I had a very unfortunate series of, of financial financial events that really shook me to my core, and I have been such a proponent with all of my female friends who don't have their financial and, and personal lives in order to just hound them until they do because it <laughs> it, it will um, it will it will kick you in the pants and right across the road if you don't.
0: Yes. So,
1: that's, yes. that's my advice. It's not fluffy and lovey-dovey, but it's practical. And it's those things that hit us at that age of life where we need to really have our you-know-what together.
0: Yeah, well, and I think that that's part of um, our cultural denial of death, Yes. Uh, right. Is that yes. if we don't if we don't do the estate planning, the will, that kind of thing, then that means it's never going to happen to mm-hmm. me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, denial is a, a powerful thing. But I think you're giving us a good dose of reality is that it? it, it is something that needs to be take a, a priority. Yes, it certainly does. Well, we'll be <laughs> wrapping this up in a little bit. But I just wanted to ask you kind of a a, a clearinghouse question of what does living a meaningful life mean to you? Wow, that's a good question. And sometimes oh, it's hard to find the language uh, yeah. to answer it. I think it it's it's le- learning
1: living a meaningful life is going to be one where I again, I'm not bat- sitting back on my laurels but one where I'm continuing to give back. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of dovetails into a question that I think you posed about where do I envision myself, uh, at this point in my life now, and how does, what did it look like then? What does it look like now? I really pondered that question and thought about that intently. And so, and, and like many women our age, I thought I'd still be married and I'm not,
0: mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I
1: never, I never thought I'd be alone and I am. And sometimes that scares me. And especially since I'm an only child and I have no, I have no siblings. So it's just me. Once my mom is gone, that's, that's it. I thought I'd be retired by now. I'm not because of a series of unfortunate financial events that were not my fault. But I also know that I have the power and I did recover and I'm stronger because all of it, because of all of it. I'm incredibly strong now, and I think I'm stronger now at 62 than I was at 32, Mm -hmm. and that's because I know my own internal moxie. I was able to rebuild, be proud of the things that I have, the life that I lead, and the people that I'm able to impact through my words and my deeds every day, and for me, that's enough.
0: Beautifully said. I, I I love that you have I can just feel your your spirit of being an overcomer in in your answers, Cheryl. So you' you are a an excellent role model for for women who are, you know, struggling maybe a little bit with the idea of being independent and and really digging down and thinking about, you know, who are they at their core.
1: Yes, and um. that's the key. If you can find out who you are. You can pretty much uh, conquer anything.
0: Yeah, I think that is actually the the greatest gift of getting older mm-hmm. uh, is to be able to, you know, to figure that out and then to live it because a lot of times we we figure it out and then we're afraid to live it uh, for a variety of reasons. But uh, you are, you know, a shining light on that. Okay, so last question this is an unusual question, but I own a candle company, Kentucky green studio. And Mm -hmm. so I spend a lot of my time uh, thinking about scents. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay.
0: And uh, specifically thinking about the the memories that scents evoke uh, when (laughs) we smell them. We thought, you know, people are like, you think about scents and it's like, yeah, well, you know, you know how you have a a, a theme song, or you hear a song, an old song on the radio, and you're taken right back to the time when you first heard it. Okay. I do that. I think scents do that too. I think it's a really powerful way of remembering, triggering our our, our memories. So what scent would you say captures the essence of your life currently?
1: I would say the smell of the desert after a hard rain.
0: Okay.
1: One of it is one of my favorite scents. by the way, I, I spent a lot of time in the desert growing up uh, with my family. And mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite things was watching a thunderstorm in the desert and smelling the cactus in the creosote after they had been rain soaked. And it's such an earthy um, ah. re- renewal Uh, renewing scent for me that I, a few months ago, I was fortunate enough to travel with, with one of my best friends. And uh, we, we were in the desert in Palm Springs and uh, we were fortunate enough to be caught in a rainstorm. And um, uh, we were sitting outside and when the rain stopped, I said to her, do you smell this? And she said, what do you smell? It's creosote. And all of a sudden, all of the smells of the desert just came into my, into my senses. And I felt such a sense of renewal because, you know, the desert is so arid and so dry. Yes. It sometimes looks like it's all curled up and dead, but it's not. The, and it's a lot, much like us as we're aging. All you need to do is give us a little water and we come back to life. And that's what, that's what I, I think. I would have to describe that smell. And when I,
0: I wish someone would make a candle that smelled. Well, Cheryl, I try to fulfill that wish for you, but you know, as a Midwestern girl,
1: um, I can't,
0: I can't say that I've spent much time in the, in the desert, nor have I witnessed uh, the, uh, the, uh, a rainstorm coming through. So I might have to put that on my bucket list. Yeah. Uh, your, your, Your beautiful description of it. Well, thank you very much. It's been joyful and frightening. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. That, that's when you know you're on the right path, right? When Absolutely. Joyful I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you did, please join our community on Facebook. There, you will find reading suggestions, meaningful dialogue, and additional stories of women who are going big. The link is posted in the show notes. As Betty Friedan said, aging is not lost youth, but a new stage of opportunity. So let's do it together.